Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Well, it's good to be together this morning. Finally, coming back, feels like it's been a while since we got in our plane and we were doing our flyover together. Um, that's okay, we had good things to do, but let's get back in the plane, if you'll fit in my, my little tiny plane there, as we are looking at the Old Testament we have covered the first five books of Moses, or excuse me, the first four of five books of Moses. That is often called the Pentateuch, those five. From creation, the fall of humanity, sin entering the world, and then we saw God, he really immediately after sin enters, he begins to put in place a plan of redemption, if you will. You can probably call it something else, but... God's still working with humans, allowing free will, obviously, and yet working out a plan in love to save us. Genesis gives us an overview, really, of some main events, lots of things we, we didn't see, of course, we don't know about, um, but we, we hear about the flood, and then we, we follow a, a narrow channel, and, and we find out about Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, and we find the nation of Israel enslaved in Egypt, and eventually God raises up Moses as a deliverer, bringing them out of Egypt. God shows a lot of power, didn't he, right there in that segment of time, especially power, great miracles and works. And then we, we find him in the desert, and God then gives them his code of living, his law, for their nation, for those people. <clears throat> so, now we come to the fifth book of this Pentateuch. The fifth book is Deuteronomy. 
So you can turn there. Um, it's an interesting book. A couple quick facts about it. Um, the, the rest of the Bible from Deuteronomy on, we, there's 445 times where Deuteronomy is quoted or brought up. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book out of the Hebrew Scripture when Jesus was alive. So some important stuff here, very foundational to Hebrews as, as well as Christians, as well as us. So let's ask God to meet us as we look at Deuteronomy and learn from it. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. It's always exciting to come to your word, to open it, whether it's personally just meditating and reading and learning and or, or small group study or, or, or reading aloud or in this setting, learning from um, the scripture as we, as, we, as we look at it together. And I pray, God, that you would do your work in our lives. It's, it's live. Your, your word is alive. Your word is active. It's not just a history book. And it's active because you're alive and you are working in us and you love us. Thank you for Deuteronomy. Please help us to see you and your truth here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just get the setting a little bit. For, for this book of Deuteronomy, you have that first generation of Israel that came out of Egypt. All of those guys are dead, except for two, Joshua and Caleb, the faithful. All the parents, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, they've all died in the wilderness because of their unbelief, because they wouldn't obey, because they wouldn't say, yes, God, I'll, I'll, I'll go into the land, giants and all. Someone has said this would average out to about 85 deaths a day, depending on how big the nation was. Now, of course, every individual wouldn't be aware of every death, but that's some kind of reminder, isn't it? 85 deaths a day, the wages of sin is death. And that younger generation then would know, that's why we're still out here in the desert eating manna every day, not getting into that land of promise. It's because of unbelief. Well, now we find them camped on the plains of Moab. They were ready to enter the promised land. And this is the second generation, if you will. Moses is still there. He's to remind them now, this new generation, the ones who have watched all the grandparents and uncles and aunts and father and mother die. Moses is now in the, in the business of reminding them of God's plan for them. They are his covenant people. The name Deuteronomy comes from two Greek words, and it wasn't Moses' name, but it's, the, the, the two words are second, they mean second, and they mean law. So it's literally just the second giving of the law. That's what Deuteronomy is in general. So Moses, he's really delivering a really long sermon. You can be glad he's not here today. 34 chapters, you'd be here probably all afternoon. Well, perhaps you could say Moses gave three speeches, and that's how we're going to look at it, at least as a method to divide the book as we try to get a better grasp on the whole of the book today. So first, he's going to give a speech concerning their past. He's looking back, he's grabbing information, and that's really chapters one through four. And in the first three chapters, he reviews some key incidents in their past, things they may remember they may have been aware, but he, he refreshes their memory. And at some points, actually, he adds new information from what we saw in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus. Uh, 
Moses, in particular, he reminds them of the victories that God has given them. There's only a few up to this point, military victories, but he reminds them, he spends some time on that. Um, That's foundational for what they're about to do as they look to conquer Canaan. For example, in chapter 3, the nation of Bashan and their king Og. Og was one of those giants in the land that the spies discovered. Remember that a generation earlier, and they feared them. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Verse 11 of chapter 3 says, this guy had a bed that was 13 and a half feet long. That's a king-size bed. But God told them not to fear, and actually they saw they had victory over that man and his kingdom. So as we come to chapter 4, still in this first section, Moses alters his speech a little bit toward exhortation, encouragement, urging them to obey God and stay in his presence. This isn't the last time he does this as we look at the book. But there's particular admonition to them here to be on their guard against idolatry. Moses, and you know it too, don't you? Moses knows their tendency toward worship and devotion of other gods. In the land of Canaan, there will be, for these people, temptation with the people, their stuff, their gods, to worship and turn away from the true God, their God. It's interesting here there in, in chapter four, fifteen through 19, there's a list concerning not making an image to worship in the likeness of any created thing, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, etc. You can look at it there, but it, I don't know what it's worth, but this, this is actually in exact opposite order of creation itself. In other words, maybe something is being communicated. It it would be a reversal to worship anything other than God. Perhaps you you could say it would be a reversal equal to undoing creation itself. That wasn't ever the design to worship anything but God. Well, this brings us to that second section then, the second speech. This one was long, um, 5 through 26, chapter 5 through chapter 26. So, Um, This takes a majority of the book, obviously. And these chapters, now we move from kind of looking backward to looking at the present. And and they're they're focused on teaching, exhorting. They're pedagogical in nature. So these things that, that are being said in this section are central. They're critical to Israel's existence and the code of living that we've looked at. Remember the laws, all all manner of laws and priestly elements and whatnot. By the way, remember this standard, this covenant was to set them apart for God. It was to set them apart. And that's what is meant by holy as God's people adhered to it as they lived it out. The law of God that was given to them really through Moses, the intercessor at Mount Sinai. We we noticed that some of that was even written down on tablets, namely the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, which... Now, many have seen these Ten Commandments as kind of a centerpiece and a summary of their whole law. Um, you, it's not a necessarily a given, but some, this middle section of Deuteronomy 
has confused scholars at times because it doesn't seem very orderly. It seems like there's one command and then another one that's completely unrelated. And maybe that's just how Moses thought. But there is um, a possible resolution in that the content of chapters 12 through 26, a large portion of the book there, could be kind of further expansion on these 10 commandments. In other words, bullet points under each one, further expanding the, 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 the 10 main commandments. But in any case, we know that Moses here is teaching. He's reiterating elements of the law. All of this, their feasts, their administrations and judgments, their diet, sacrifices, rituals, the Sabbath, laws having to do with morality and daily life, marriage, divorce, all of this centers on an interest, a devotion, and yes, even a love for God. I was going to say quickly, my, my family created a little model of the tabernacle. They've, they've got it on the back table if you want to look at it after the service, but it just has a lot of the elements of the tabernacle that they would have had in the desert at, under um, in Mount Sinai. The things they packed up and moved and set up again, that was the center point of the camp where God met them. And you can look at that if you want afterwards. But there was a a centerpiece of a love for God. When Jesus came on the scene years later, do you remember that he summed up the whole law and the prophets by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He added to that, the, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But the word love is used 21 times in Deuteronomy. So beyond what we think of as just law is... Love for God. This underlies actually the whole of their covenant, their existence as God's people. So Jesus didn't make up that statement. He could have. He didn't make it up at least when he was on the earth. He gave that to Moses. He pulled it straight out of Deuteronomy 6, it's verse 5. Of course, the love expressed here is not what we often mean or, or think of when we think of love. It's not simply a feeling or an emotion. It has to do with loyalty devotion and even obedience but it's not devoid of emotion either this love is a response to what god has done for them think about all the things god had done for them as israel and who he now is to them by grace he's chosen them and delivered them provided for them he continues to direct and be faithful to them does that sound familiar i hope it does the Israelites should then respond in love, in devotion, in worship, and in obedience to their God. So in this section, before Moses gets into the details of the law, in chapter 6, that Steve read some of that for us, with us, it, it speaks to the basic building block. Moses speaks to the basic building block that will carry this truth forward in society for, for generations. Moses will die soon. But he is interested in their life for generations and generations to come. Now, remember the priests and the, the, the Levites, they had, they had a, a central role in mediating for the people as well as teaching the law and keeping the society aware of God's truth over generations. But in chapter 6, Moses speaks to mom and dad, starting in, in 6.4. 
The Lord is one, you shall love the Lord. These things that I'm commanding you today, they shall be in your heart. And then verse 7, look at verse 7 of chapter 6. You shall teach them to your sons and daughters and shall talk about them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And he goes on from there. Now a very devout Jew, I, didn't, I was going to get a picture and I didn't do it. You've probably seen them though. Um, they take this very literally. Even today, they'll tie little frontlets on their head and little box on their arm with some of these scriptures, some of these laws. But the point here, though, as far as I can see, it is not so much to make sure you have a frontlet tied just right on your, on your forehead or even a, a verse in every room of your house necessarily. I mean, that could be a great thing, but it's to talk about them. It's to teach them. It's to keep them in front of you all the time. He is saying here, the wording seems to be pretty clear. He seems to kind of cover it all when he says that in in verse 7. So except when you're sleeping or standing on your head, the things of God should be central. Hang on to that. We'll come back and discuss that a little bit more. But in this second section here in in Deuteronomy, particularly in chapters 6, 7, and 8, as Moses is teaching... He reminds the nation of Israel that they're a small nation, comparatively, and and yet they're chosen as God's people. They're to be called out, separated. As such, Moses reminds them not to fraternize, not to associate with the godless people of Canaan. They were not to make any sort of treaty with them, including intermarrying with them. They were instead to destroy them completely, Additionally, they were not to live in fear of them. There was a bigger, stronger people right across the Jordan River. They were well-established cities, armies, chariots. God will take care of you. He will help you along the way. As Moses is speaking here, there's an interesting point. We need to dip the plane down just a minute. Look at chapter um, uh, verse 18. I think it's chapter 6. Let me look quickly. I neglected to write that down. No, no, it's chapter it's chapter eight, I think, actually. Hmm. Sorry about that. I'd like I'd like for you to be able to see it. Chapter eighteen is what it is. I'm I'm really off. Chapter 18, verse 15, and verse 18. So we're we're still in that middle section. We're moving on, though. Chapter 18, verse 15, and a similar statement is made in verse 18. So here Moses claims to be a prophet. Not only is he one who declares, he speaks God's truth, but he is one who foretells the future in that prophetic sense. And both of these verses, 15 and 18... Moses says that he speaks of a prophet that will be raised up like him from among Israel. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. That word prophet there, of course, is singular as you see it. And I think what he's speaking of someone we know as the Messiah who would come one day. He would resemble Moses. I don't know if you've thought about 
Moses as um, somebody who Jesus resembles Moses. Moses is a prototype of Jesus. Someday he would come on the scene and someday I believe, personally I believe Jesus will rule national Israel in a very literal sense. The Messiah, the Redeemer. Remember in a rough sense the Old Testament is following this plan of redemption and here you have a glimpse of it. Sometimes something shines real brightly as to that plan of redemption that God is is revealing here. Interestingly enough, in in the New Testament, in John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip, who was eventually uh, turned out as an apostle, he tells Nathanael, he says this, We have found the one, Jesus, whom Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. He he knows this verse. I didn't know it. I forgot where it was, but Philip didn't. This is, of course, he says, Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. So let's move to that third section of Deuteronomy, Moses' third speech, if you will. The last one, of course, 27 through 34. At chapter 27, Moses, here he turns a corner and he charges the people now to keep these commandments, to write them down once they get into the land. And then in 27 and 28, there's consequences listed for obeying, There's consequences for disobeying, and they're all related here to the people. We remember that this is a conditional covenant that we're talking about. We've been calling it the Mosaic Covenant. It's an if-then agreement. There are conditions for both God and the people. If you do them, this will happen. If you obey, you will be blessed. 28 verse 1, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Many of those blessings are listed. But if they did not obey, they would be cursed. A few verses later, 28, 15, it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all these commandments that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And there's a lot of curses listed there. Consequences for obedience and consequences for disobedience. A choice is before them. I almost see this as a critical moment in in history. A choice between life and death. In other words, neutrality is not an option. It's one or the other. Toward the end of chapter 30, Moses says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways and keep his commandments and it goes on choose life and Moses is admonishing them if you don't you will surely perish remember we're talking in specific about a nation Israel at a certain time and place under a God in a certain way so these curses and blessings You don't need to shake in your boots about them. They're not directed directly at us. This was under that Mosaic covenant. But we do see some of God's heart coming through here, don't we? His blessing is still there in various forms for those who love him, for those who follow him. And of course, there are all sorts of consequences, curses, if you will, for those who don't. Each person, each family, each group needs to make a choice. 
One of the curses listed here is that God would remove them from the land. They would go into exile if they didn't love and obey him. That's in 28, especially 63 through 68. Of course, you remember that happened years down the road, didn't it? It was even foretold by Moses then in chapter 31. Interestingly enough, in the first part of chapter 30, Moses says, if they recall these commands... Now, this would be after they were taken out of the land. If they recall these commands and return to the Lord while in exile, he will gather them back to the land from the nations where they were separated, where they were spread to. He'll bring them back. Remember God, remember we talked about another covenant. Hopefully you haven't forgotten that. It was called the Abrahamic covenant. And in that, um, God promised to give them the land that was an unconditional covenant that wasn't based upon their obedience or their disobedience God said he would do it the land by the way in other places is it says is owned by God God would let them live on that if you will but as they walked with him he would let them dwell on his land but there's lots that could be said here. This is a whole expansive subject. But this regathering of national Israel that's been taken out of the land, it may have started even in our day, even now. The state of Israel has been official for about 75 years to this point. You can have your opinion about that and think about that. But In the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, it's a mix of narrative and poetry Joshua now is commissioned to replace Moses in leading Israel. You see that in the last part of 31. And then Moses writes a long song in 32. And then he gives a big long blessing in 30, 33. In so many ways, these words of Moses that you, that you see in these, these two writings of his are prophetic. They're forward-looking they, they, the book began by looking backward, remember, looking at their history. And now Mo, as Moses' life is, is coming to a close and these years of initiating the nation in the desert, the school of, of hard knocks for them are coming to a close. They're looking forward. Moses' song, it focuses on their relationship with God. And God to them. And the blessing Moses gives in 33, though it's framed by eulogies about God, beginning and end, it's really directed toward each of the 12 tribes. He mentions them all there. And it's interestingly enough, very positive God's blessing toward the 12 tribes. You know, Moses, he began his ministry at 80 years old, didn't he? Remember that? God called him at the bush when he was 80 years old. At this point, he's 120. Probably few of us, probably none of us will make it to 120. Some of us won't make it to 80. But Moses, at this point, it says he's still going strong right up to the end. He, he hikes up the mountain before he dies. And these two works of poetry, if you think about that alone, that's significant. I mean, that would take me a whole, that would take me years to write something like that. Some of you could do it overnight, but... Michelangelo, he was still painting and creating right up until he died at age 89. John Wesley was 88 and he was still riding his horse around the countryside preaching to various groups. It's never too late to live well. It's never too late to bear fruit in these short days that God gives you. 
keep that in mind as you look at Moses. In the last chapter of Deuteronomy, in chapter 34, Moses dies. Before he died, God took him to the top of Mount Nebo. You can see that right here. This would have been in the plains of Moab. So is, this is not technically the land of, of Canaan or Israel, the Jordan River here. Moses was able to, from the top of Nebo, look across and see much of the land of Canaan that would become the land of Israel. <clears throat> the text says he was opposite Jericho, that was one of the first things they, they got into when they crossed the, the river there, as we'll see when we get to the book of Joshua. He could see much of the land, and right before he died, it says his vision was clear, and he was still strong, and God buried him in a burial place that still secret, still secret. Now Moses is a special person. He's continually mentioned throughout the Bible. If you spend much time there, you'll see the prophet Moses and the, this Moses. That, but he, as we said, he was a prototype of Jesus. He was an intercessor. He was a great prophet. He was simply a man of God. There's, you can look at this later. There's a crazy passage in the book of Jude that talks about Michael. That's the great angel. He disputed with the devil over the body of Moses. J.D. is going to explain that later. I see him nodding his head there. I don't know what's going on there, so don't ask me. But, and perhaps you remember later, Moses actually appeared with Jesus in front of some of the disciples as witnesses. We call that the Mount of Transfiguration often. Moses had died, but he didn't cease to exist, did he? And... Maybe that has something to do with the protection of his body there in Jude. I don't know. But he showed up again. And by the way, he was in the land when he showed up right here. You could say by grace, under grace, he came into the land. Well, I want to ask the question here as we come to the, come to the end of our flyover of Deuteronomy. What is before us? What is influencing us to live the way we live? What is it that you observe, that you pay attention to, and that you live by? This, the whole book here, the flavor is keep this book of the law in front of you that God has given to you. Keep it before you to observe it and to obey it. What is before us? Has anybody ever been rafting here, whitewater rafting? A few of you. Well, you should try it sometime. You know, usually when you go whitewater rafting, you launch your boat into a, the river. At some point, it's fairly calm. There's no whitewater necessarily right there. You've got a paddle, but you could easily just launch out there and kind of float along. The water will carry you wherever the water pleases as you get out of that calm spot. It will carry you over rocks, maybe into rocks, through whirlpools, maybe around and around and around, maybe over a waterfall, and you'll just continue downstream, whether you're upside down or right side up, but you will be carried along just floating along as the water flows toward the ocean, the lowest point. I think by nature, we're something like this, aren't we? By nature... 
the paddle stays in the bottom of the boat and we take the path of least resistance. By nature, in the flesh, we get in our raft or our easy chair, we sit back and we float along. Over time, then, we encounter problems downstream because of it. We tend toward humanistic living. This is the natural way. So in this situation, what, what then are we living by? What are we paying attention to? What is before us? It's maybe our own feelings, perhaps. Whatever I like, whatever makes me feel good, whatever works for me, whatever emotionally is fun. Perhaps it's just selfishness. We tend toward thoughts and practices that surround me. That's our nature. Perhaps the culture dictates where we go where we end up while the paddle's in the bottom of the boat. Whatever it is, we are influenced by the factors that we have put before us, the things that we have allowed into our lives to direct us. This is eventually what we observe, what we obey, if you will. These factors, these influences, they often come slowly. You put your raft, as I said, into a calm part of the river. You could have a picnic, right? You could go swimming, nothing, no problem. You settle back to float along and you'd never know that there was a class three rapid right around the corner, waterfalls up ahead. Deuteronomy is here for this purpose, I think, among other things. But as we've seen, Moses is pleading with them. He knows how important it is for them to keep God's law, God's plan, to keep it before them. As we saw in chapter 6, he says, These words shall be on your heart, and you should teach them, and you should talk about them with your children all the time. Verse 12 of that chapter says this, Beware, watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord. Watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord. I think we should ask ourselves even today, this morning, what is it that you observe, that I am observing, that I'm paying attention to over time, day after day? What is before us that we would not forget the Lord? Whatever it is, it's putting us on a trajectory. It's carrying us a certain direction. Now, much of the time, when you're whitewater rafting, you don't want to just float along. You want to pick up the paddle and intentionally put it to work. In some cases, you have a kind of frame in the middle of the boat or even perhaps in the back of the boat where the guide would sit and the guide has two large oars. Now, you might think you're doing all the work. Most of the, in this situation, if you're sitting in the raft with the guide, he's, he's controlling the boat. He's doing most of the work. But in many cases... The guy doesn't have oars. He has a paddle just like you. And each person in the raft, it is very important for each one that they use their paddle and they use it properly. Intentional paddling. That's sometimes hard work, but it will ensure that the raft ends up in the part of the river that it should be in. It misses the big rocks. It avoids the hard places. It avoids capsizing. It goes to shore for lunchtime. And all in all, it goes where the guide wants it to go. Now, in my limited experience, the guide will actually call out commands from the back of the boat to, to, to the paddlers for them to execute. He'll say, forward three, 
or left, backward, two, and, and you, you do that in unison. You paddle um, according to his guidance. So that raft goes right where he wants it to go. In life, you know, there's plenty of options to distract us in our world. We don't have to name them all. You can think of them. Things that we put before us. But before we know it, we, we're downstream and we, we realize we're just about ready to go over a waterfall. We've been doing too much floating along. You know, if you had the chance to ask Moses, hey, hey Moses, what might we do that would cause our relationship with God to go askew, to lose blessing, to lose joy, to be caught in evil? What might we do? I think Moses might answer us out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he would say, forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commands and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am giving you today. Forget those things. That'll work. So what is then before us that keeps us from just floating along, forgetting, ending up in a place we don't want to be, ready to launch over a waterfall to our death? I think the principle that we find here for the children of Israel, it remains the same. It remains active for us. We need to pick up our paddle. We need to put some effort into that paddle, intentionally putting the truth of God in front of us. The truth of God in front of us, observing it, paying attention to it all the time, that it would influence our lives, that we wouldn't just float along. Now, some of that we do corporately. Hopefully, we meet often with each other, other Christians, more than just Sunday morning, I hope. We talk about, we reiterate. We observe some of the same truths, things we might have done last week or in our past, but we reiterate them. We develop them. We work on them that we might not forget them. We worship together. Now, some of us, probably most of us, if you're to really think about it, have responsibility with others to help them, kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or there's a lot of other options to help others to discuss the truth of God with them, to keep it before them. That we would not, that they would not forget God. But it starts personally. Bring it home at a personal level. What are you doing that you would not forget God? What in your personal life are you observing? What is before you? your practices, your habits, day after day? Is it purposeful? Is it intentional? Or are you just floating along? I believe we, we have to pick up the paddle. We have to be intentional. We need to put some effort into it. We need to strain against the flow of the river. Floating along, it, that will not end well. It will not go well. In other words, is the Word of God before you? That can be pretty, pretty broad. We can answer and say, yeah, well, of course I live by that, yeah. But do you read His Word consistently? Are you memorizing His revealed Word? Are you understanding the concepts? Are you working on them in order to live Christianly, to keep them as central, that you wouldn't forget 
God? Are, are we communicating? Am I spending time in prayer, talking to God? Now, we all have room to grow, I'm sure. I know I do. But I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself. What truly is before you? Are you pulling on the paddle? It takes work. It takes energy, discipline, probably failure at times. That's okay. That's part of learning. Hey, you might get a few blisters on your hand that's holding on to that T-handle. That thing gets a lot of work. You get a few blisters on there before it's over. But we want you... I want to be intentional about what is before me. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Some, some translation would say, think about these things. So what do you think about? What do you dwell on? What's before me? Maybe we need to make just some practical changes in our lives. That you would not forget God. That your children, that your, the generations ahead of you, whoever it is, would not forget God. So I'm just here to say, pick up the paddle. Pull hard on the paddle. By the way, the rafting trip will be a lot more fun. It'll end a lot better next week Lord willing will be in Job so that's not according to the order in your Bible but you can check out Job and we will spend some time with him like next week um, I did want to mention that the elders have been talking we want to offer an opportunity if you if you want to have some prayer and just maybe share and pray after the service um, the, the elders and maybe others will be available up front to engage in that with you today and, and hopefully going forward. We want to make that a practice. So if you have that need, you want to engage in there or minister there, that, that we want that to be a regular part of, of after service. So let's pray together as we, as we wrap up. Rachel, if you have another song, come on up. Father, thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for... It's a challenge, it's always a challenge to, <laughs> to be truly keeping you before us. We are in the flesh, We're, by nature we want to float along, we want to sit in, in the bottom of the boat and just float and we find ourselves doing that. I pray that it wouldn't be something that we beat ourselves up over, God, that we would just say, hey, this isn't it, pick up the paddle, direct, direct the boat, that you indeed would would give us the strength for that. And God, even today as we go from here, maybe some practices need to change. They need to be updated. We need to ditch some things because we want you to be before us. We really do. And maybe we can, we can do more than we think with your strength. And we can have you as the center point of our lives and our families. God, I know that I need this challenge and thank you for the, the faithfulness of Moses and the, and the reminder here as we have kind of 34 chapters to remind us to keep you in front of us. Let it sink in. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.